You're listening to Halford and Bruff. The pitch. He struck him out, Kimbrell. It was not easy, but he gets the final out, striking out Ramirez in the National League's All-Star Game losing streak finally comes to an end. First win for the NL since 2012. Pressure is uh, paramount every, every single time I, I come out on the court, particularly here, the center court in Wimbledon, but at the same time, it awakens the, the, the most beautiful emotions in me and, and it motivates me beyond what I've ever dreamed of actually to, to, to and, and inspires me to play my best tennis. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that they want to get a scalp, they want to, to win, but uh, it ain't happening. Top of the morning to you. It's Dan Rachel and Randy Janda, the morning show with you. From 6 to 9 a.m. here on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Dan Richo, Randy Janda, producer Elon Chark with us this morning. A very classy start to the show with some, uh, what was that, Benny Goodman? Like, what kind of music are we playing from the 1960s swing? Uh, Randy, it's Wednesday. The same song gets played every morning at 6 a.m. How often, other than doing the show today, am I up at 6 a.m., Dan? Probably not very much. uh, It's a good point. Uh, Get into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I know uh, some of you are already interested in what uh, today's Pakdoku is going to look like. We'll play it all together at 7.45 this morning. But we got lots to get to. Shane O'Brien will join us after 8 o'clock. Harmon Dial after 7 o'clock. But first, we get to what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? Yes, what happened? It's brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. We'll get to the All-Star game in a moment, but uh, here in Vancouver, everybody was waiting to hear from the coach, Rick Tockett, who was on with Halford and Bruff yesterday mid-morning here on the west coast and um rick talkett always has some interesting things to say loves every question he gets when he speaks with the media great question great questions um but he talked about the new additions a little bit about how the penalty kill might look with those new additions and how young players like vasily pod and nils hoaglander can fit in come training camp in September. We'll play through some of those clips with you after 6.30, but what was your big takeaway from hearing from the coach? Yeah, I think for me it was that. The young players, Niels Hoaglander, Vasily Podkolzin, and he expects them to bring the energy, wants them to be energizer bunnies, he said specifically, and bring that forecheck. 
it's more about thriving, having that empowerment than survival. He wants these guys to act like they belong, be full of confidence. And that's something that I think for both players, but especially Vasily Podkolzin, when he is a confident player, when he's lowering that shoulder, using his physique and reacting within that second, not thinking, not overthinking, he's a hell of a player, but it's providing that consistently reach and the coach has issued the challenge. He's been issuing it since last year, but I like that comment to say, no, we expect you to bring in speed. We expect you to play a certain style of game and don't act like this is survival. We want you to thrive in this situation. I like to hear that. What is going to be interesting is how the penalty kill sets up next year. And I think that is part of the wonder after they sign three guys that are all going to factor in on the PK, but... When the penalty kill started to figure itself out a little bit towards the end of the season, we saw Pedersen and Miller be the first over the boards on almost every single PK, and they started scoring a bunch of goals. They became the power kill again, like we saw towards the end of the previous season when Brad Shaw started coaching the PK. But we're all in agreement that it's not exactly the best thing to have to lean on Elias Pettersson and JT Miller a ton on the penalty kill. And Rick Tockett sort of agrees. He says, you know, I'm still going to use those guys. We're still going to use those guys on the penalty kill because they are so good at it. But, yeah, we'll probably not have to rely on them as much as we did towards the end of last season. And that makes sense, right? You pick up those three players that you mentioned for that reason. And one area that you look at, I look at, you know, Hughes and, and Miller, or sorry, uh, Pedersen and Miller for sure. They were the, able to provide that scoring. We saw the shorthanded points, but, you know, Quinn Hughes in that regard too, just so much better at winning the puck last year, so much better at getting a, the, puck, the puck out of the zone, killing yep. time. And even though he p- played less than Pedersen and Miller on the PK on average, one minute, 19 seconds compared to the 140 plus that Pedersen and Miller did, Still very effective, but you don't want those guys in that situation that often, right? Whether it's two minutes, three minutes a game. There's a reason that you pick up Carson Soucy. There's a reason that you pick up Ian Colts. They can plug the lanes. They can break the cycle. And you don't want to put your guys, your high-end guys, in that much danger at the same time, Reach. So we'll get into more of what Rick Tockett had to say about the Vancouver Canucks coming up. After 6.30, his take on some of the new additions and where he thinks they can help his roster going into next year. And uh, a lot of talk about habits and things like that, once again, from the coach, because that's uh, just who he is. 6.50, 6.50, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dan, 6 a.m. starts are not for you. You sound exhausted. Wow. Is it really that bad, guys? The beginning of the show, I I was going to actually make a comment. You sounded (laughs) tired, man. (laughs) I'm not saying I sound great. It's it's 6 a.m., but at the same time, I feel like I've had like seven spurs compared to your maybe one and a half. I, uh, th- see, this is, um, I guess this is where you start to feel your age a little bit. Because, I'm older than you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I used to be able to do the morning show no problem. Like, yeah, you want to fill me in for a week at 6 a.m.? I can do it. I can do it. But all of a sudden, uh, it's been a little bit harder this week. I'm gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been, I've been getting enough sleep. It's just not uh, it's not translating. So, you know what? I appreciate the honest text. Honesty, this is a safe space. We're all in the nest. We're good. Uh, we got that text coming in and another one. 
Vicky from Poco, you guys, you guys sound wonderfully, yes. wonderful to me. <laughs> thank you. Vicky. Well, thank you, Vicky. Uh, we we appreciate that. We know uh, she's lying, but we appreciate it. Didn't have a lot to watch last night uh, on the sports calendar. It is uh, to quote Jim Benning, the black hole. But we did have the uh, MLB All Star. I don't know how many times I'm going to use that line this week. Um, over but, under one and a half. <laughs> definitely the over. It's already hit the over. Um, the NL wins the All Star game three two over the American League. And probably the most wild thing to me, not that I uh, am an all-star game historian, especially from the baseball all-star game perspective, the first time they'd won the all-star game, the National League had won the all-star game since 2012. 3-2 over the AL. I imagine Craig Kimbrell was still a closer somewhere in 2012, (laughs) and he's still closing out games, so good for him. Shouts to him, Hall of Fame career. But... um, that was a, a bit of a surprising statistic, and I think the takeaway, I, I didn't watch the entirety of the game, but you know, watched for the first little bit and caught the last couple of innings as well. What I like about it, especially to compare it to, to the NHL All-Star game, which was an absolute gong show last year, um, the players, yeah, did they do they care a ton? It kind of felt like it a little bit, but more so just in the idea of, hey, we're here to sell our game, and the more we do that, the better it is for us in the long run. And everybody seemed to be on the same page with that, and as long as we're having fun, the people watching, the people here in the stands will also feel that too. They're invested, right? Yeah. Where they're having fun, they're cracking jokes. I think Vladdy Jr. was a huge part of that as well. Playing rock, paper, scissors with uh, Lourdes Gurriel. That, uh, you know, creeping up on Shohei Otani during an interview and just standing behind him, kind of pulling, uh, you know, the LeBron James, yeah. or just kind of lurking in the background as somebody's doing an interview. Also, uh, I can't believe, like, underrated, that Dalton Varsho trade is one of the worst in recent memory that I can think of. It, like, six months into a trade, I'm like, wow, this is awful. I can't believe how badly this has gone yeah, already. Not great. No. But to watch it, like, I'm not going to lie. I watched the beginning of that game, the two catches right off the bat. Yeah. And I was like, you know, this is good. I'm going to start doing some other things with this on in the background. Didn't really pay attention the rest of the yeah. way. Saw some of the antics, saw some of the stuff. But, like, the energy around this is not forced. It's natural. Yeah. The NHL, it is completely forced. Guys are trying to show they're having a good time, but you can tell they don't want to be there sometimes. Yeah. Some of them flat out just don't show up, like Alexander Ovechkin and will take the suspension. They don't care. With baseball, there's actually an element of, all right, these guys understand the marketing of it, and they're going to lean in. I like that. So uh, some things that were a thing in 2012, um, the Canucks were still pretty good. It's true. That's uh, the last time the National League won the All-Star game. Also, the NHL was into a lockout. Oh, man. In September 2012. You had to you had to remind us of those dark times. Uh, Lynn's sanity took over the NBA. Oh, I remember that. Come <laughs> on now. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. I'm with a couple of Knicks guys, and they're like, yeah, Lynn's sanity was the greatest thing ever. Do you remember the buzz when he beat the Raptors with the dagger? <laughs> Do you remember that? The greatest moment in my sports. No, I'm joking. Yeah. But it was a good moment. I got a Jeremy Lynn jersey. Oh, you... <laughs> yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I was so hype. Just Lynn Sanity all over the place. Elon was all about it. It's amazing. I, n- I never went as far as to get a jersey because I knew it was going to end with him being on another team pretty soon. It was a nice, what, two-week span, though. It was great. Uh, the uh, Twilight Saga came to an end. Never got into it in the first place. <laughs> you, I know you're shocked. 
Not my thing. You weren't. If you weren't like all so- in on uh, Kristen Stewart and, and Robert Pattinson. No, but if there was like a Sopranos meets Twilight spinoff, yeah, that's my file, but not not Twilight. I did have a pretty big crush on Kristen Stewart back then. Uh, Messi won his fourth straight Ballon d'Or, so uh, there was lots going on. And now he's going to play for Inter-Miami. Yes. Life moves fast. <laughs> Mike Trout, I think, was in his first year in Major League Baseball in 2012. That's how long ago that was. 2012, Dan Riccio was working at a sports memorabilia shop. Yes, I was, actually. Still, I, I back know. then. <laughs> I know, because you mentioned it like three times a week. The biggest story coming out of the All-Star game, though, is uh, the Shohei Otani situation. He is an impending free agent, is the biggest free agent sports uh like any of the major sports has seen i guess since maybe lebron james like there's people are out there arguing shohei otani is the greatest baseball player of all time already yeah it's a big deal man like he's got an over he's over a thousand ops this year with 32 home runs leads the major leagues and he's throwing at a 332 era with well over a strikeout per inning pitched. Reach, he's going he's on pace to beat Aaron Judge's home run number from last year, which Yeah. We know what Aaron Judge did last year. Had one of the greatest offensive seasons in the history of the game. And Shohei Otani at this point is going to outpace him. That's what you call a contract year. You know we were talking about Aaron Judge betting on himself? Otani is doing more than that. Yeah. And and that contract is going to be unreal. It's at least $500 million over 10 years. Yeah. And I don't know how, like, it's it's going to be one of the wildest contracts you ever really sort of break down because if you are the signing team, you're sort of trying to determine, okay, how much longer can he do both, right? And can he do it for another five years, six years? Like we know maybe years seven, eight, nine, ten of that deal don't look so pretty, as most of them don't in 10-year deals. But are we still getting this player, easily the best player in baseball, the most valuable player in baseball every single year he is pitching and hitting at this level all the time? But do you want to pay an extra $100 million to this player in the final few years of that deal? That's that's going to be the question. That's a conversation most normal teams would be having. Yeah. But the LA Dodgers are not a normal team. No. And – the reason that they kind of took a step back this year in free agency was for what reason? They saw this coming. They want to move that guy across town. Half a Billy is nothing to the LA Dodgers. And they don't, as long as he's hitting mm-hmm. in the long term, they'll be fine. But come on. If this was the Minnesota Twins, yeah, you'd be having that internal conversation of, yeah. you know, how long's that window? The LA Dodgers don't think that way. The Angels aren't going to make the playoffs, and they're probably not going to trade Otani, despite the fact that he is a pending free agent that likely will not sign with the angels because he's already talked about wanting to be in a position to win more than he has so far in his career with the Los Angeles angels. It's a tough spot, but um, when you have the most valuable player in uh, maybe sports, given, you know, the worldwide reach Otani has, it's uh, it's tough to move off of. I know it's a different sport altogether, but could the Edmonton Oilers find themselves in this situation? Not too long down the road. Well, like even the like the Leafs right now with Austin Matthews. Sure, that's another example. I, yeah. I know you you go into this year and you're like they think they're still a Stanley Cup contender. Godspeed. But it's 
I, I also agree, like, there's no situation where I'm okay with trading Austin Matthews because, yeah, if I'm in a cup contending window, then I'm just not trading this player because I'm never going to get the value back in return. The difference here for L.A. and, and the Angels is we don't really have a chance of winning this year. So <laughs> no, man. why not move on from the player? This team barely makes the playoffs. Yeah. We're talking about winning. How about you make the playoffs first? Yeah. They haven't even been able to do that. They have the two best players in baseball or have had the two best players in baseball and can't even sniff the playoffs. Um, one other thing on the MLB front, they want to uh, – the Players Association said yesterday that they would like to increase pitch clock time for the postseason. I don't agree with a ton of stuff from Rob Manfred, but at least from a watching perspective, the pitch clock has made baseball infinitely more watchable. This season games on average are just over two and a half hours and there's more balls in play because of, you know, the pitch clock players getting tired, uh, pitchers getting tired. There's more stolen bases. It just makes it's made the game a lot more fun on a lot of different levels in the regular season. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. But in the playoffs, the longer delay, you don't want a game decided on a pitch clock violation. Not necessarily. And also, Time in making that pitch in the playoffs when the stress level is so high already for pitchers. Yeah. It actually, in a, in a way, having that much time works against you if you're a pitcher too. The level of stress. So in the regular season over 162, yeah, I want games to be done in two and a half hours. Yeah. In the playoffs, I'm not worried about that overall clock so much. It's the drama. It's the high drama that you want. So I'm actually with the players on this one. Uh, Aaron and Coquitlam Otani has he ever made the playoffs uh, he's impressive but goats need rings folks and uh, Brendan from South Surrey there was a graphic last night that showed Otani versus Babe Ruth Otani blew him out of the water yeah <laughs> I think like the uh, sort of the uh, the reputation of Babe Ruth exceeds what was actually true about him as a pitcher and hitter at the same time. I'm not here for any Babe Ruth slander, though, man. Well, he was guy... a better pitcher when he was with the Red Sox than he was when he was with the Yankees. Yeah, he was also the greatest home run hitter the game has ever seen at, at for, that time. For, like, 100 years, <laughs> yes. almost. It's like, he had a good run. Let's not, let's not <laughs> act like he was like, oh, yeah, at the time. <laughs> he went almost, you know, 50 years being the greatest but home run But he never hitter. did both. At the elite level that Otani has been doing it for a number of years now. Sure. That's that's the, the, the point I wanted to get across. Okay, if we are having that conversation, though, like, Otani does have the benefit of science. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, It's babe. only 100 years later, Reach. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think Babe Ruth didn't take care of himself as well as, as Otani did. <laughs> just, just a hunch. <laughs> just a hunch as Babe Ruth was heading over to the speakeasy after he hit three bombs for the Yankees. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, one question about Lionel Messi. Is he actually going to enter Miami? Yes. It hasn't been officially announced. He landed in the USA yesterday. The plan is to unveil him to enter Miami fans on July 16th, and he will debut for enter Miami on July 21st. So uh, get excited about Lionel Messi and MLS. Well, he better be going there because Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba have already <laughs> essentially signed on. So if he hasn't signed on and those two guys are, he might have to talk to his buddies. I feel like Messi's given them kickbacks in order to make this work on the MLS uh, salary cap. But, hey, just just a hunch. Timeshares. Uh, Inter-Miami, they've only been around for a few years. They've already uh, circumvented the MLS salary cap once. 
With Blaze Matweedy, of all people. Um, all right, Novak Djokovic, he's through to the semis at Wimbledon. He equals Federer's record of 46 Grand Slam semis. In case you didn't know how great Novak Djokovic is. And he is looking to tie Federer's record of eight Wimbledon titles. Uh, here is Novak Djokovic. They want to get a scalp. They want to, to win, but uh, it, it ain't happening still. <laughs> Yeah, everybody wants to take Novak Djokovic's spot on the throne, but uh, they're going to have to wait, is what he said yesterday. And we've talked so much about the the big three in men's tennis, right? Yeah. Roger, Rafa, Novak. And uh, during a certain stretch, it felt like it was always Roger and, and Rafa. Yep. This is the chance, A, because the numbers are backing it up, but now... Full-on spotlight for Novak Djokovic. And just watching him play against Rublev last yesterday. Yeah. Come back. Come back. And you never really have a doubt about him, right? Like the great players, Roger, Rafa had their time as well. But Novak, to this point, what, 36 years of age? Yeah. Still absolute, like, just a, just a menace. Like, he is ruthless on the court, hitting shots that nobody else can hit. And he's going to, like, these numbers we're talking about, the ones that you just recited the overall Grand Slam, he's going to smash them. Yeah. He's going to smash them, which makes you think, if Roger or Rafa were not around, or if one of them wasn't around, the numbers that Novak Djokovic would have would have absolutely obliterated what Pete Sampras did. Yeah. They already have, but just imagine those numbers, even if you take away one of the big three. Yeah. The three greatest tennis players all playing in the same generation. Uh, and Novak is outlasting them all. He is the youngest of the three, but... Uh, outlasting them all, and you know, right now we're headed for a collision course of Alcaraz and Djokovic in the final, and that should be pretty special should we get it at Wimbledon over the course of this weekend. A uh, couple of other things before we hit the break. Keandre Miller signing a two-year deal with the Rangers. The deal will carry an average annual value of $3.872 million and is backloaded so that he can get the highest possible qualifying offer going into his next contract. The way I see Keandre Miller, uh, the way we saw Keandre Miller this past year, it felt like a breakout year for him. And this contract is a bridge but it's a bridge towards him getting a huge payday in a couple of years if he keeps up what he's been doing. And it's a smart play here where you get that high qualifying offer, you kick the can down the road when the cap is supposed to go up. We're seeing that a lot with a number of players, but at the same time, you know, what is that next payday? Because if he continues to get better and, you know, grow as a player, he's not going to be in the probably Jacob Truba 8 mil, but reach. Yeah. Could he get pretty close, though? Like, you know, if he continues, maybe add some layers to his game. We know that... Cap might be 90 million bucks by the time yeah. he, he gets that new deal. So I might be short-selling him here, yeah. right? Because, yeah, 8 million seems like a lot, but if the cap jumps up significantly, yeah, players like Keandre Miller would be saying, you know what, seven and a half, eight sounds pretty good to me. But that's going to be... That's what every player that's signing a bridge deal is looking at to say, all right, what's my valuation in that in that new world that's coming with the cap. Whenever that does happen, whether it's a year or two away, that's why you're seeing all these bridge deals. Uh, I know uh, you're a boxing guy. Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou announce a fight to come in Saudi Arabia, Randy. Yeah, all the money in the world, yes. they're going to be paid uh, for this. 
and I'm gonna say it yet again, another force of a fight. Nganu is a legit heavyweight. He's the best. This has never happened. He's the best. He's the best heavyweight in MMA. Sure. Yeah. Packs a heavy punch, but we know how this plays out. And this goes back to it. And we're part to blame for this. The viewers, the consumer. But it goes back to McGregor versus Mayweather. Yeah. Such a financial success that there's a guy, Alexander Usek, who legitimately should be fighting Tyson Fury for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Doesn't matter, though. Doesn't matter. It's uh, been the story of boxing for far too long. It's uh, the argument many people make to say why boxing has fallen from its perch as such a main event and something that really got people going. People still love fight night, right? The allure of fight night and getting your buddies and your friends together and all watching it around the television, whatever might happen. But it's not a boxing match we're watching anymore. We're watching celebrity fights. We're watching, uh, you know, the best boxer versus the best MMA fighter. It's not, you know, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield anymore. The financial side of boxing is probably healthier than it's ever been, but it's not boxing. Yeah. It's basically... Remember Fox used to have that show when it was like Tanya Harding fighting somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> this is essentially an extension Celebrity of Celebrity boxing? Yeah, it was like, you know, William the Refrigerator, Perry versus Manute Bull. <laughs> How is this any different other than these guys are actually sanctioned? Yes, it's true. Still waiting for that Elon versus Zuckerberg. Uh, Elon uh, Elon Musk versus... I thought you were talking about Charco. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> Different Elon. Uh, Elon uh, Elon Musk versus uh, Mark Zuckerberg fight. That's going to be a pretty Apparently, good one. Apparently, Zuckerberg's also training. Oh, it looks ripped. It? There was a picture that was uh, going viral yesterday. Well, sure. What else does he have to do? He just like watches his bank account grow. Yeah, Every second true. of yeah, the Zuck is training day. with uh, Israel Adesanya and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Musk was training... Yeah, they're both training. training Musk his, was training with GSP. Oh, okay, I thought he was, he was training his new Twitter employees, but we'll we'll get away from that. Do we feel about differently about GSP that he's training Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might. No, I won't. Uh, all right, it's uh, Dan Richo and Randy Chanda. You are listening to the Morning Show on Sports at Six Fifty. can't waste practices so that's what i gotta relay to these young guys especially that have a purpose when we have practice there's a reason why we're doing certain things there is the coach rick tockett speaking with uh halford and bruff yesterday halford and bruff in the morning brought to you by delari family of acura dealers experience the delari difference today visit your nearest delari acura dealer today uh, Rick Tockett, uh, coach of the Vancouver Canucks, is still getting ready for a big summer and a big training camp where the Canucks are going to set up all of their habits. And, you know, it's uh, something they did not make good on last year. And, I mean, the last three weeks, month of the season, that was the only thing Rick Tockett would talk about. <laughs> was how important getting ready for training camp would be for this team and setting themselves up well for the next season. It was that wall guys. Inside guys. Inside guys. Uh, North-south. Four or five buzzwords that talk it had. <laughs> but yeah, the big summer, especially for an organization that since taking the job, Alvin and Rutherford have talked about practice habits. Yes. Being ready. The best players leading the charge. You know, bringing back 
those comments or at least their time, you know, with Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin leading the way. Like, that's the culture that they want to instill. It's a big summer for that, where you have your coach, you have the individual that you want to run the bench with his assistance, handpicked, ready to go. Yeah, you better show up. There's no excuses this year. So Taka was asked about a wide range amount of uh, wide ranging amount of topics, and we'll start with what he had to say about the new additions: Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, and Teddy Bluger, all signed in free agency. Yeah, all, all I think character guys, uh, all can penalty kill, which obviously we have to shore up. But, you know, uh, uh, we knew from uh, you know last couple of years with with the Canucks. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I, especially with Kohler and, and uh, Teddy, you know, they took one-year deals. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, I'm sure Kohler wants to stay in the league and, and, and continue to do his thing. And Teddy, I think, is, ba- is betting on himself. You know, he has a really good year. He's going to make some more money. Um, Carson, obviously, getting him on a, you know, three-year deal, a, a long defenseman, um, aggressive, you know, kind of the attributes we need back there. Um, so I, I thought... I thought Patrick did a great job of landing him, and, and those guys wanted to come here. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know specifically, but I know they had a bunch of some offers, uh, maybe some offers that maybe had a little bit more money, but they 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 decided to come here, um, and I think that goes a long way. Not to call uh, Rick Tockett out, but the idea that these guys took a little bit less money to come to Vancouver. I- I'm not saying it's it's not true, but it is a it's also a nice narrative to set for a new coach and a relatively new management group that they've started to change the reputation of the team around the league. Sure, and it you know the only ones that know this are the management themselves and the agent. Like yeah, we like can't... Could Cole have gotten a multi-year deal. I I could see that. So in theory, he's leaving money on the table. Sure, but. Was it money on the table like Kyle Burroughs getting a three-year deal? Yeah, to go to a, a pretty bad team. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like you got to gauge when the guys want a cup. You know, yeah. maybe you are willing to take a little bit less to say at least one team is competitive versus another one. Uh, in regards to the the comments that he made about you know those players being picked up, I think what one thing that he mentioned was uh, about Carson Soucy. You know, a long defenseman, aggressive, something we need. And it really goes back to the types of players that Tockett want in this situation is when he says that, it's breaking the cycle. You know, cycle breakers, this team was tough to, uh, easy to play against last year. They need to be tougher to play against. So Cole has that element. Carson Soucy obviously has that element. And when I think he mentions aggressive too, is that there's probably more offense in Soucy's game, right? We haven't necessarily seen that maybe in, in, spurts here and there when he'll jump up into the rush but he's a guy that's not afraid to do that so you can see from a defensive perspective just being aggressive not being not necessarily a uh you know the pk for example sitting back and being passive no this is a guy that's going to force the issue he's going to step into guys at the blue line be aggressive at the blue line break the cycle so for that you can look at maybe the whole idea that are you building the culture are you building a situation which players are going to say all right Two competing offers, maybe one's a little bit different financially, but where do I get more of an advanced role? Players are going to take that reach if they, in the long term, it benefits them and they can grow in that role. So there's one of the things about the the moves. I, I think, it, yes, it, it should finally figure out some of the penalty kill. 
for this team. You know, Ilya Mikheyev was supposed to be one of the players that helped the penalty kill last year. Obviously, it didn't totally work. We've talked about this. There hasn't been enough players, especially on the back end, that have been willing enough to eat pucks, that have been good enough at eating pucks. And outside of Tyler Myers, you know, do you really want Quinn Hughes eating a ton of pucks? Oliver Ekman Larson was not that guy. So the Canucks have been in this tough spot where they haven't really had a left shot defenseman since Edler left that they're comfortable saying, this is our guy first over the boards whenever we're on the penalty kill. And now I think Susie or Cole is definitely one of those guys. I think Heronic is going to play a big factor on the PK. You think about Bluger and Mikheyev could very well be the first two forwards over the boards when the Canucks end up having to kill a penalty. So you could start next year and have a completely different look for what your first PK unit might be. And there was another part of that conversation where he was talking about Pittsburgh and when they won the cup against San Jose. Yeah. About having lunch pail guys, blue collar guys. Love me a lunch pail guy. Yeah, just taking that lunch kit. I don't know what's in it, but <laughs> you, you got to be bringing that. Bring your salami and cheese and get it going. Sure. More of a Podonta thing for us, but uh, <laughs> see, each their own, right? But that's the mentality that Talkit wants on his team. Yeah. Even the skill guys. Yep. When you're out there, you're going to work hard and you're going to put in that effort. And there was one comment he made about wanting players with hockey IQ and character. Mm -hmm. And where have we heard that before? It was something that Todd Harvey said after the draft. Yeah. Hockey IQ, character. This is a theme that this team is having at the senior levels where they're veterans, they're expecting, they're demanding that in their player recruitment. And they want their guys on their team, like the Elias Pettersons, the Quinn Hughes, those guys have that. They want good character. But anybody that's entering this organization from a player perspective, whether it's a draft pick or a free agent, this is one theme that Rick Tockett, Patrick Alvin, and Jim Rutherford are making a prerequisite. And that's something that, you know, we talk about that culture. It's going to be something that this team is going to be, I think, you know, you're going to hear a lot of that because it's not necessarily about being the quickest skater or maybe the hardest shot. It's, can you think the game at a high level, and are you a good guy in the room? That's something that is really, really important to this coach. It's part of the uh, culture change that uh, I think they're trying to bring and have been trying to bring here to the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if I'm fully on board with it. You know, Are you leaving talent on the board at the draft in order to take guys that you think have a high hockey IQ and high character? That's something I would wonder about after the draft class that they had, especially in the in the middle rounds. But it's something that they've committed to, and it's something that I I also critiqued about the previous regime, where it seemed like they were valuing something different almost every off season: size one year, physicality the next year. Uh, then it's skill and speed it's just you know, there's too much of yeah. a variance there a mishmash stick to it yeah what's your plan and stick to it if that's what you believe in it be convicted in that plan and find the best ways to make the most of that so that's something i can get on board with and if we look at the fit fit is a key word with the canucks going back about four or five years yeah nate schmidt good player in vegas and i think in selected games 
pretty good in Winnipeg as well. In yeah. Vancouver. Had a really good season in Winnipeg this past year, actually. For sure, yeah. Like, he's, you know, and he's got different partners there. He can play a slightly different role. But the fit in Winnipeg is much better for him than it was in Vancouver. And how many times have we seen that in Vancouver the last couple of years? Yeah. The fit not being right, especially on the back end. So, what do you – you have to change something. Yeah. You're going for something very specific here. They're going for hockey IQ. They're going for character. And I'm with you. I think you have to have an organizational plan. You have to say, all right, this is what we're tapping into. We'll help you. We'll skill up. We got Sergey Gonchar. We got Adam Foote. We got, you know, skills coaches. We got a big hockey operation staff. We'll help you on those other things. But you got to come in with a certain mindset and a hockey IQ. That is the prerequisite. Uh, this text comes in. Uh, what's in your lunch pail? The mozzarella and the gabagool. And you put a little bit of provolone, maybe some uh, some pepperoncino on no that ziti? sandwich, on. and that's perfect. No ziti? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're bringing any baked ziti in the lunch pail. Come I don't on. know. All right. We got a microwave on the job site? I don't know. A little cold ziti. Never hurt nobody. <laughs> um, it's good text. Uh, all right. The other thing that Rick Tockett focused on was the young players. I don't know if it's too early to call Vasily Podkolzin and Nils Hoaglander X-Factors of training camp and how the season could play out for the Vancouver Canucks. We know there's a logjam at forward, but if you're thinking about, at least from a theoretical perspective, which players, which of those wingers, especially the ones lower in the lineup, slated to potentially play lower in the lineup, have more upside, it's Pod Colson and it's Nils Hoaglander. Here's what Rick Tockett had to say about how those guys can make the most of their training camp and their upcoming season. Enthusiasm, you know, like like chasing pucks down, uh, you know, um, winning puck battles. Like, you know, I think young guys uh, add that to, to teams uh, when you can get a bunch of young guys to play for you, that they just bring that enthusiasm. Especially, even in practice, you know, in the in the the doldrums of the season sometimes, you know, sometimes practices, guys get a little bit, you know, they're tired or whatever. You get a young guy out there buzzing around, um, and the guys you mentioned, Hoaglander and Pod Colson, can they be that guy, those energy bunnies? Can they be the first on the forecheck? Uh, you know, can they get the crowd going um, at Rogers? Like, those are, those are the things you want these young guys to do. Just add a little bit of spice and life to your team. Obviously, um, they have skill sets. Um, and, but one of them for me is definitely, can they be really good four checkers for us? That, that, that would, that'd be huge for me. If I can get those young guys, it would be a, a good four checking group. So, uh, a, a lot of cliches in there, but right at the end, he says exactly what he wants out of Vasily Podkolz and Nils Hoaglander be good four checkers for us. And he's talked about this a ton. He wants one strong four checker on every line. And if you think of Nils Hoaglander's game, what would he be best at? Jeremy Carlton uh, point, points it out often. He's best in, in puck pursuit. It's one of his great assets as a player. If he can be F1 on a line and really hone in on that role, really specialize in that role, that's where Nils Hoaglander is going to find the best version of himself. I don't think it's too different for Vasily Podkolzin, although with Podkolzin, his upside, not necessarily a point perspective, but can he be one of those you know, two-way wingers that can provide a ton of value in the league. Guys like we've seen with, you know, his fellow Russian compatriots like Ilya Mikheyev or even an Ivan Barbashev and maybe even do that to a higher level as his career goes on. Yeah, that comment 
obviously it resonates with both, but the one individual that I look at is it's Niels Hoaglander, right? Yeah. The profile of his game, even last year, I remember talking to to talk it after a practice and he recently gone to Abbotsford to watch the Abbotsford Canucks. And I asked him a question about Linus Carlson and he immediately took it to Niels Hoaglander. Kind of gave Carlson a bit of a mention and said, no, I really like the way that North-South game of Niels Hoaglander. Like, this is something the coach has been thinking about last year. And there's a lot of value to be had there. And I know, you know, that one, that that contract that Hoaglander signs for $1.1 million, a lot of people are saying, that's a lot of money for a guy that played in the AHL. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you can get this guy to to really play that game, Mm -hmm. be tenacious, be aggressive on the forecheck, not necessarily, you want him to improve defensively, but get him to play more on the front foot. He could be a game changer in that bottom six. But it's all a matter of coming in with confidence. It's all a matter of, hey, don't be happy to just be here. This is your spot. Act like it's yours to be taken away or somebody's going to try to steal it from you. That's the mentality that both of these guys have to have. And with Niels Hoaglander, we've seen he can bring that speed. He can be an aggressive four-checker. He's tenacious along the walls. It's exactly what this team needs, Reach. And listen, you know, DJ your boy, yes. is, is somebody that is valued in this organization for what he brings at that price tag. But if you do a good job, you can easily replace him within this organization. This organization is looking at young players that are con- under control to leapfrog some veteran guys right now. And he's one of them. Dakota Joshua is, is you know, a, a really good F1 yep. when he plays that style of game. I think there's more in his game that he can show. But there's one or two roster spots that if these guys really lean into this and make their spot theirs, like, yeah, it's going to be easier to to potentially move some wingers, but you got to make sure that you hit that in camp. You got to yeah. hit it consistently too. Well, I, I think we know who's going to play with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. It's probably Mikheyev right now. Yep. And he's going to play that F1 role. If we look to the next line, Miller and Besser probably lining up together. Could it be PDG again? He played that role pretty well towards the end of last year. He had chemistry with JT Miller. Yep. Uh, but you also have Anthony Beauvillier. So it's going to be one of those two on that line. On that front though, Talkett was pretty, I would say, honest about what he thought about Bavilia's game. Yeah. And the inconsistencies there. Too much East-West. Yes. And if you're playing a top six role next to JT Miller, your job is to get home. Mm-hmm. Your job is to be there well, first. Well, that's why PDG got stapled next to Miller for the last month and a bit of the season. Sure. And long term, that's a spot you hope either Mikheyev or Pod Colson can, you know, Mikheyev is going to be in the top six regardless. Yeah. But ideally, you know, Having a Pod Colson in the top six would be would be great, but he's not there. But PDG, as of right now, that's his spot. Yeah. I, unless Bavillier shocks in training camp. Uh, it's kind of nice to hear that the Canucks are going to prepare like the other 31 teams do. That's uh, from Tommy B. Did Coach talk about Pearson? He was not asked about Pearson. Uh, that text coming in, and it's uh, the, the Pearson thing. I think Patrick Alvin is saying everything he needs to say about Tanner Pearson. They are hopeful he's able to come to training camp and be able to participate, but I'd still have some level of wonder that he's going to pass a physical once he gets to training camp for Tanner Pearson. So 
Um, as much as the Canucks have left space open on the salary cap in case Pearson is not going to go on LTIR, I still wouldn't bank on Pearson playing. It's more likely than not that Pearson's unable to play this season for the or start this season with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it's great to hear that there's progress. And going back to Tanner's press conference last year, just wanting to get back to playing with his kids, right? Like yeah. that, that was goal number one. And the fact that we're hearing positivity around know him being better and all of that that's great but it feels like there's a lot unsaid on this topic uh there's a lot that we probably don't know and just him showing up to camp just seems a little too easy it, it just feels like there's a yeah. lot going there uh some good texts coming in here yeah. actually and hoaglander sam coming in with with hoaglander it's pretty easy just playing with Pedersen. tiny tim Along the same lines, well, though. Well, Boudreaux used to play Hoaglander and Pedersen because they were friends. So, and, and it now that didn't really out. work out. No. So. <laughs> but Tiny Tim actually unknowingly gives a bit of a rebuttal here. Hoaglander is not a finisher, and he needs to figure out and what he's perfect at. Guys have amazing careers being workhorses, play drivers, rather than actual playmakers and finishers. He needs to be that dog and get the second assist type of guy. Yeah. If you're playing with Elias Pedersen, you better A, be that type of player that gets him the puck, being aggressive on the forecheck, or you better be finishing plays. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're getting set up like he was last year, early last year, and not finishing, you probably don't deserve to be in the top six. Uh, Austin and Langley, Hoaglander can't be sent down without waivers, correct? So he's basically on the team next year. That is part of the thing with Nils Hoaglander and why he may very well be the 13th forward for the Vancouver Canucks. He requires waivers to go back to the AHL. So that is something definitely to keep an eye on. I'm sure the Canucks aren't ready to lose Hoaglander for free. And given the interest around him, some of the numbers he's put up in his career, some of his underlying statistics as well. I would imagine that there would be a team that's willing to take a chance on him. But at 1.1 on a one-way deal, might be easier to sneak him through waivers should the Canucks have to come training camp. Um, I did want to say this about Vasily Podkolzin before we hit the break. Or it's more of a question, Randy. All right. Podkolzin is 22. Um, And congrats to him and his wife. They had their first child yesterday. Do you develop old man strength after you've had a child, no no matter what age you are? <laughs> you're, like, ask, you're asking the does, wrong guy does, here, first does of all. Does Pod Colson have dad strength already at 22 years old? I guess. <laughs> like, you got to remember. Dad <laughs> old strength, man strength is a thing. Yeah, dad strength and old man strength is very different, though. Okay. Like, old man strength, you have to hit an age threshold. Dad strength <laughs> is like this metaphysical power that you get <laughs> once you have... Neither of us, neither of us have children, no, so no, we, we're not really qualified. Well, like for old this. man strength, you got to hit like what forty five. Yeah, like maybe. I feel like there's a number probably around fifty, maybe that you got to hit to get that dad strength. That's just like a power <laughs> that somehow was transferred in that hospital room. <laughs> it's as, in you after that, man. Yes, as soon as uh, that child is conceived, you have uh, developed dad strength. I think delivered, but okay. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Vasily Podkolzin uh, is, he was a big part of the conversation too yesterday. And, you know, it was something Rick Tockett mentioned. No, don't know if we have time here for the clip, but it, it's kind of something we've known about Podkolzin. It's 
can he get out of his own head? And not that Rick Tockett said that specifically, but he mentioned, I, I need Pod Colson to play reckless. And I think there is definitely been some moments where Pod Colson you know, has made a mistake on the ice and you can see that he's in his head about things. And there's a, a hesitation. And we know at the NHL level, if you're hesitating about anything, you are as good as dead in the water. You know, you're, you're, if you're hesitating on anything, you've, you've made the mistake already. And that's part of, you know, the growth process that Pod Colson has been trying to go through. Yeah, we didn't necessarily see so much of it with Rick Tockett because Pod Colson was injured for a, a good stretch. Yeah. But during his time with Bruce Boudreaux, that's where you could see the confidence issues, where when he is playing his game, it's all reaction, it's instinct, it's a confident game. But that mistake happens, Reach. You can see him thinking, and you can see him kind of like the shoulders drop right yeah. off the bat, where you're essentially saying, okay, he's not feeling that, you know, there's a gentle giant vibe to him, where he's a, he's a mean and nasty player when he wants to be. He's engaging. He's, uh, a, he's a perfectionist. He, he is, but like, yeah. remember, earlier on in the year, part of the reason we liked his game, going back to his rookie year as well, is that he'll engage in those scrums. He's got that confidence in him, but... Once he makes that mistake, speaking to the perfectionist aspect, the confidence is just, it's gone like that. And as you get older, he's only 22, we got to remind ourselves yet again, that with more experience, you're going to get that confidence. But hey, that's what happens. You're a first round pick. You've played pro games in Russia. You make the switch over. There's a lot of expectation and dealing with that expectation internally is sometimes tougher than the external pressure. And that's what he's dealing with right now, mentally. Uh... <laughs> A lot of thoughts <laughs> about dad strength. <laughs> All right. Uh, old man strength only happens when you take your shirt off and expose the back hair. <laughs> this guy talking about you, Rich? Austin and Langley just picturing pods coming to camp with a dad bod and barbecue sauce on his shirt. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You're just cracking jokes and uh, dad jokes in Russian. Yeah. I feel like that's Pods' future for sure. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Randy Janda. You are listening to The Morning Show on Sportsnet 650.